so clever. Yeah, we are. <laughs> well, I hope that I didn't mean that to sound as snarky as it as it came out. That's good. No, that's the material we're looking for. That's good. Zing. <laughs> Hey, Richard. Yes, Paul. I got great news for you. Tell me. I love great news. Big report came out from McKinsey. Big report. And mm-hmm. it says exactly how much it's going to cost to dig us out of this hole that we've dug ourselves into when it comes to climate change. Exactly. Exactly. No, just like to the, to the dollar, like great plan. Here we go. Not so bad. Not so bad. Okay. What's the number? $275 trillion. Mm. Any discounts? Can I do a payment plan? Well, the joke, I, I, I'll do it for 274 That's what I've been saying. But That's um, funny. You know, and then nobody laughs. You just gave me the same anxiety I get when like the HVAC guy, HVAC guy is about to give me a quote, and you know they're padding he's right. it. He's right. He's, or, and he's right. He's padding it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he's padding exactly. it. Yeah, but, but you got to replace the HVAC. Literally, that's what we're yeah. trying to do. We're trying to replace the HVAC at a global level. I mean, I'm guessing part of the signal around it is to sort of wake everyone up. No. Like this is size. <laughs> it's just a bill. It's just no, an invoice. <laughs> no, it, it's a big bill. It's the bill yeah. for the entire energy system over the last like 150 years. And fine. It's just the bill. It's finally due. It's, HVAC <laughs> is a great, great analogy, actually. Like you don't think about it when you buy the house, but it's really expensive. And uh, <laughs> yeah. the house without HVAC is just a moldy nightmare that's going to collapse. Yeah. So that's not why we're here. Well, it is actually kind of why we're here. So we're going to bring two people in to talk. One is a uh, Postlight affiliated person and the other is a different organization affiliated person. And these people are working on climate change at a very, very deep, Mm. intense level. And a lot of the things that I've learned about climate change, I've learned from them. They've been our clients for a long time and have kind of become our friends and in many ways our mentors. And uh, so I'm going to... um, First of all, let's let's introduce Allison Smart from Probable Futures. Allison, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's fun to be here. And I would like to introduce Peter Croce, the product manager for Probable Futures. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yay. All right. So you should tell people, um, if you're listening to this podcast and you have a computer in your pocket, there's a great case study for Probable Futures on postlight.com, but also probablefutures.org. I'll um, tell you. It's good work. It's really good work. It's, it's very good work. It's, a, put out. it's a mix of like interactive textbook and then it's got maps. But anyway, okay. Mm. Let's be. Well, let's ask the question what is probable futures, Allison? Good question, Rich. Yeah. So we built probable futures in order to build a bridge between climate science and culture. Uh, what it is, is an initiative to develop and share with the public really useful tools that visualize climate change, along with stories and insights to help people actually understand what those changes will mean to our lives. Who is your audience? I know it's a lame question, but like, is it, is it just anyone? Is it scientists? Is it business people? Like, who are you aiming for? Well, we have designed it definitely to be widely accessible. The The intended audience is, is not scientists, but we certainly hope scientists will use it and have heard from some scientists that they intend to. But our intended user is really anyone who can 
use a resource on their journey to internalizing climate change. So for a lot of people, that's, um, you know, just starting out on their journey to learning about climate change and how it'll affect their lives. And so we hope for people like that, Probable Futures will be uh, kind of their first stop. Allison, you are the executive director. Yes, that's right. What does an executive director do all day at a climate communications focused org? For Probable Futures, what I do all day is connect the various partners that we have working with us. Well, I'll back up a little bit and say Spencer Glendon is the founder of Probable Futures. And uh, this initiative is really originated from his ideas. So as executive director, I'm the person who builds a process and a team to bring those ideas to life and to actually implement them. So we decided to build the Probable Futures organization a little bit unconventionally. We decided not to build a big organization with uh, all of the staff people actually on staff, but we brought in partners like Postlight and like others who really know their craft very well, who have great people. And so we bring those people in and work, you know, commit to kind of long-term relationships with them. And then we have, I, as executive director, have the challenge of creating a culture across you know, five, six, seven different organizations in order to have a creative process and a culture around that creative process and and within the organization. My favorite thing is when Paul introduces me to people by email and says, Allison and Spencer are responsible for wrecking my brain. (laughs) All different forms of wrecking my brain, ruining my life. Introducing him to I mean, I, I like a little drama in my intro emails too, though. You know, I just feel as a form, like you just you got to give him some life. So one of the lives that you partially ruined is also Peter, Peter's life, because Peter, we should give a little context here. Peter was a, and is transitioning out of forever at Postlight and really focusing his career on climate and doing that with Postlight. We are, we're all still working together and, and still he's been working with you guys on behalf of Postlight for a long time and we'll be working with you guys for a long, a long time as well. Peter, talk a little bit about what you do in this context and, and sort of what, what you do for Probable Futures. I am the product lead on, on Probable Futures. So that means I also, I'm in a role where I'm working to collaborate with a lot of different people, but specifically focused on the product. So with Postlight, with our product designers and engineers, just like a product manager, really working to collaborate and build this product. Um, it's really, it's a very interdisciplinary piece of work, um, Probable Futures. We have multiple different applications. We have the public one that everyone's familiar with. We have some that are not public that we could also talk about that will be public in the future. And to build all of these applications, we really require the typical product team of cross-functional roles, product designers and engineers working really closely with scientists at Woodwell. And also because Probable Futures is focused on creating something that is beautiful and can exist anywhere. We work very closely with our brand partners on the design side at Moth Design who have been deeply involved at every step of the way from creating a brand uh, to also building out these products with us. And so it's a very interdisciplinary piece of work and something where I'm, I'm collaborating with people, keeping us, us focused on, on the goals and making sure that everyone is aligned in, in where we're going. 
All right, good. Let's get to the baseline here, which is, and this is the question that every listener will have, how bad is it going to be? Can I flip that question on its head? Can I do that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I I think enough people have heard about how bad, how bad, how bad, how bad. And, you know, Problem Futures is probably one of the best, most thoughtfully put together narratives about how bad, because it it doesn't lecture you. I think it's one of the features of Probable Futures. If you go to probablefutures.org, it's not telling you how bad you've been. Instead, just looking outward, right, and saying, this is what's happening, and it's going to continue to happen. Let me ask it in the inverse. What starts to feel, I'm not even going to ask you what is success, because that's a ridiculous question. I'll leave that one for God. But what starts to feel like success, not just within probable futures, but more broadly in this entire movement? What starts to feel like success? Allison, let's start with Allison. Success feels like something that we call climate awareness. So individuals, organizations, communities, governments operating in a way where climate and climate change is a consideration and part of every conversation and decision uh, that you make. We were really the, the underpinning idea behind Probable Futures is that we were the beneficiaries of a stable climate for the past 12,000 years. We have been able to build this incredibly sophisticated civilization that we have today only because we had a stable climate that didn't change. It allowed us to do things like settle and build communities and invent agriculture. And so now we have, you know, we've built it up to the point where we have, you know, institutions, governments, nation states, Bitcoin. You know, it's just you don't have Bitcoin in a world where you're constantly moving to find the, you know, to Mm. find the good climate. So we've been able to build this incredibly sophisticated civilization without ever having to think about climate because it was just this stable thing that that didn't ever change. Now we have to think about it. So when people start to incorporate this climate awareness into their life, even at a very small level, just like going outside and thinking about the fact, well, let's see, we're I'm talking to people in the, in the tech and digital space here, but everything in the digital world has some type of connection to something in the physical world. You know, we have wires coming into our homes that are hardwiring internet that, you know, we have places that have, you know, in the, in the physical world that have server systems. As people, especially people who are in positions of power where they can actually make decisions that impact the world in meaningful ways are going to bake in climate change into their thinking, into their decision-making, right? So you're not lobbying. You're not saying we need to pass laws. You're going sort of at a higher altitude, which is we need to start to influence thinking. Like, is it is it CEOs? Yes, we probably are. Futures. Probable yeah. futures is. is um, I mean, there are certainly laws that need to be passed, but you know, the role that that we see probable futures playing is influencing the way, you know, really fundamental ways that we think about life and that we make decisions. And the idea is that when you factor climate into your decision making, you start planning for it. You start you know, building it into infrastructure, whether it's digital infrastructure or 
physical infrastructure, whatever kind of you know organizational infrastructure. You start planning for it, and ultimately, when you start planning for it, it leads to mitigating it because you can't really truly comprehensively plan for climate change without thinking about adapting to what is surely coming and then mitigating and avoiding the worst possible impacts. I mean, you've been working with digital people for three years now in the form of Postlight, and you're saying this is our job, right? Like, go back, replay our, because I'll tell you, I'll tell the audience a little bit about working with Probable Futures, is there was a time where you had to slow us down. We were like, we're going to ship some software for you. It's going to be great. We're going to solve this climate change thing. We're, we got it all figured out for you, smart, relax. And uh, and then you sort of took us aside and we're like, no, 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 no. You're not going to solve this. Like, we need to really think these things through. And I think so that for me was a really big moment. I, I know I know it was for Peter as well, where we had to start think stop thinking in terms of solutions and more in terms of this kind of ongoing process and relationship. Can you characterize that kind of thinking? Because I've noticed it's very it, it is actually something I think people in climate world take for granted. And then for the rest of us out here just trying to get the job done. Like, how do you how do you align those two worlds up? Yeah, I think climate change is so broad and overwhelming to a lot of people that often we're looking for a silver bullet or what's my, you know, 10 things that I can do to solve climate change. And we came at it from the perspective of this is a, a really comprehensive challenge and it requires a shift in thinking not a list of 10 things that you can do. And in order to shift people's thinking, we really have to slow down and question assumptions that we've had in the past and break some conventions. So when we started working together, you know, Postlight is very, you know, let's let's get going, let's hit the ground running. And I don't think that's any different from, you know, any other well-run organization out there. But we wanted to break conventions and we weren't going to do that by, you know, let's hit the ground running and get things moving as fast as possible. We needed to slow down to say, to question some of our assumptions and to say, how can we build a digital product that makes people deeply think about something and slow down and then use that deep thinking to pay attention to other parts of the world. It was, and and we were learning at the time too. I mean, I was the first hire of Probable Futures. Postlight was the second. So we knew how important it was to have this product be right and do what we thought needed to be done but we knew it was going to be super unconventional and very hard. So early on, we knew that we would have to say, let's slow down and think this through and make sure that we're not defaulting to things that we think are true or that we think work. Peter, you should talk a little bit through this because you were you were on the front line of it having because Postlight was like, here's a process for you to follow, buddy. And then Probable Futures was like, no, buddy, you're not going to follow that process. Like, how did you resolve that? What did you notice? Where did you have to grow? What what happened? I think this was particularly interesting for me as a product manager, uh, because really oftentimes I'm focused on driving things forward and, of course, making sure we're going in the right direction. But I think that because the right direction here is so different from most products that 
we may build in the world, that anyone may build in the world, we really had to take a step back. So we started initially building something that we thought was going to be the right direction. And um, Spencer and Allison came back and said, well, all right, this is not the right direction. We need to talk. We need to adjust here. And we decided to slow down our pace. I remember Spencer gave me a book called How to Do Nothing. And uh, that was a great moment (laughs) to realize, okay, this is definitely a different kind of client that we're working with here. Typically, clients we work with are very interested in meeting deadlines and moving quickly. And we said, let's slow down. Let's learn. Um, We actually put together, um, Spencer and Allison put together a a course with partners at, at Woodwell to teach us more about climate models specifically. So a lot of the work that we do at Probable Futures is translating the wealth of information contained in climate models that scientists have built up over decades of observing the climate, taking that data that is free and openly available. Anyone could download it, but it's not very accessible. So we turn it into a product that is easy to access, that is simple It's beautiful. It's something that anyone could use. Uh, So in order to do that work, we really had to understand climate model data very fundamentally. There's a lot of language in there that was completely foreign to us that we had to learn. There's all kinds of new file formats on the technical side of things. Paul, you've been very close to this. You've been working on the translator between Net CDFs and uh, SQL. We won't talk about my my coding skills right now, but let me let me turn this around. I'm gonna given what you guys just told me, Rich and I are, have now come to you for consulting. You are, it's, I love turning the tables where I get to be the client. Allison and Peter, you have a lot of knowledge about building climate focused products and platforms more than most people in the world. And I am a well intentioned product manager engineer type. I've been told that we have to do something about climate over here at my company. And uh, I managed to sort of grab you guys at a, at a conference, and it's, it's I'm a little annoying, maybe a little little I'm, I'm sort of in your space, but uh, cloying. <laughs> it's a real estate app. I have a real estate like yeah. it's, it's a house buying app, okay. And I've been told I gotta. I, we care about climate now at my company, and I, I, I'm a pretty well intentioned <laughs> person. Can you guys help me? What, what what do I do? I read your site. It's really good, but now what do I do? Yeah, I think the the issue is uh, Probable Futures is there to help kind of orient you and help you to start looking at climate change through the lens of your particular community. And so this particular community is, you know, a house buying app. Okay. And so the tools that we've built encourage you to do that. And some of these tools are public and out in the open right now. Some of them are still actually working on. So for example, in the public maps, we include these stories throughout the maps to help people just kind of get the gears turning of like, what could happen in a particular place? You know, what, how climate can impact the power infrastructure in a certain place, or, you know, the ability of people to go fishing for uh, recreation in a certain place. And we include these stories just to start to get people's imaginations going. We can't think for you about how climate change is going to impact your particular real estate 
application company, what we can do is we can help give you the foundational knowledge that you need to be able to do that thinking for yourself. And so we can provide examples of that to start kind of giving you an imagination for that. And that's what we do on the public site. In parallel and in the background, we've been working on a tool uh, that we've been referring to as Probable Futures Professional, which actually allows you to put data on top of climate maps. So then you can say, okay, my company has this particular data set, and I want to see how that looks on top of the maps that project to days above 90 degrees in the future. What do those two things look like together? So, you know, step one would be that public site starting to think through and, and having an imagination for the ways that these, um, that climate can impact your company. And then step two is, okay, now I'm going to start to kind of customize this and put these two things together. And ultimately still, you're the one who has the knowledge, our probable futures is about empowering you with information so you can do that thinking. We are not going to come tell your application company what to do. We're going to do give you the tools so that you can do it in the most informed and responsible way. I think this is one of the most complicated things for me in working with you guys is realizing just how much of the world is oriented around solutions and toolkits that they will hand over to you and you go like, oh, okay, I use this now, right? And that even as someone who saw himself as a very creative thinker, I'd really gotten into the habit of that, especially in the technology world. It is handed to you. And I think that this makes it a lot harder. There's no consumer product you can buy. There's no simple platform. And there isn't any anywhere. Like it's if you go out shopping and I have, you can't find like climate in a box. It doesn't exist. You can't sort of get like, it's not like logging into Schwab and finding yeah. out how your bank account is doing. It's so. too big. It's too all encompassing. Like you can't have climate change made easy. It, it, it just doesn't exist because, because going back to climate, the, the climate underpins every aspect of our lives. So you're not going to be able to distill that down into, you know, one quick and easy tool. What we can do is just, you know, make that thinking and that kind of work easier for you by giving you access to the wealth of information that climate scientists have been developing over the past 40 years. Paul, Peter, Allison, you've all worked closely together. I have been sort of outside or observing as, as Problem Futures. So it's, this is kind of a question for everybody. A lot of this strikes me as really challenging, mainly because people's tolerance for consuming information is just kind of shitty. <laughs> You're competing with 60 seconds, you're competing with one paragraph, you're competing with a funny picture. And what I'm hearing here is like, you know, it's funny, We're, we like to build tools at Postlight, but your mission is to change people's awareness and change people's decision trees as how, about how they think about the world, which is like, whoa, I haven't seen, the, you know, that slick piece of software to sort that out, right? So in many ways, you're trying to get in there and seep into people's thinking. Do you think that's hard? Did you, do you think that's, well, no, let me ask it differently. Obviously, it's hard. A, two-part question. Is that terrifying? Do you just kind of keep going? And B, how do you even measure progress? 
how do you how do you even yeah. say ah oh, you know what we're right. making headway you know yeah i mean you've honed in on you know the biggest challenge of being the executive director of probable futures um but we yeah <laughs> spencer and i always knew this was audacious if not absurdly ambitious but the fact is we are facing a crisis and so there's no other time to be audacious or absurdly ambitious than now so yes it's hard what our strategy is you know not to necessarily get into the minds of every single person in the world i mean would it be great if you know if everyone on earth um were getting out of probable futures what we intended them to get out of probable futures? Sure. But actually what would be even better is that every different community has their own version of probable futures. So, you know, as we talk about intended audiences, target audiences, our target audiences are the people who are training people in their community to implement climate change initiatives. They're, you know, we're training the trainers and inspiring the storytellers. Our intention is not that Probable Futures is the only go-to resource. We hope that there are many, many different versions of Probable Futures and many different kinds of communities. You know, you could see a particular industry with their own customized version of probable futures looking at climate change through their lens. You could see that in a particular community looking at climate change through the lens of their their region and what matters to them culturally, what matters to them, you know, economically. So that's the strategy that we have employed is to make these tools and this information as available and accessible as possible so these other communities can take it and interpret it for their sure. own, you know, their own groups and build upon it. And the, the content's reusable, right? Like I think it, it is it licensing for the yes. for the world? How does that work? Yeah. No, it's it's, you know, Creative Commons 4.0, I think. But yeah, it's you can use it for commercial purposes. You can use it for non-commercial purposes. Um, ready for translation. Yeah. Ready for We want use. people to okay. use it. as That is is a version of success for Probable Futures is that, you know, people are using it in their own ways. And it doesn't have to, doesn't even have to necessarily connect back to Probable Futures. We just want to see people using this information. Two, I think helpful closing questions. What are some resources besides Pablo Futures that you like that you would point people to? Well, I mean, this actually goes back to your comment earlier, Rich, about people's ability to take in information. So we're used to taking in little bits of information on the web, right? But we still do things like read books. And, and those are the things that tend to prompt us to do like the deepest thinking and those are the things, at least for me, that tend to really change my mind or change my thinking about something where I'd like take the time. Um, and a book, you know, gives you the signal or you're used to the relationship with the book where you spend a lot of time with it. You're not used to that relationship with content you see on Facebook. That's, you know, quick hits. Um, so that's one of the reasons why we designed Probable Futures to kind of feel like a book, knowing that this is in a digital space, but so that you can come back to it and, and spend time with it. Um, so we didn't design it to be snackable content. What's next? 
for probable futures. What's the future look like for probable futures? Do you see what I did there? Uh, so clever. Yeah, we are still building the platform. So on the site right now, we have heat content. And very soon, we are releasing uh, the water volume with precipitation maps and the land volume with drought and potentially other kinds of maps will come after that. So so we're still in building mode. I mentioned this tool that we're building in parallel, Probable Futures Pro, and we would like to make that public once we get past the alpha user stage and build it to a point that it's really useful. And ultimately what we wanna do is work with users. We want to support people and organizations that have ways that they can use Probable Futures and uh, demonstrate uses of this of the maps and the way of thinking. Um, so we'll, you know, orient ourselves to spend a lot of time with supporting partners after we reach some level of completeness of, of the Probable Futures platform. But that said, the site and the platform will continue to evolve over time. There will be parts of the platform that are frankly not going to change a lot because the science is really established and, and really isn't going to change. So a lot of the narrative content that you see on the site will probably stay the same. I mean, might a lot evolve a little with some feedback, um, but the maps themselves, I mean, the climate models are advancing over time. And so we will update probable futures as uh, new climate models come online. A lot of times when people are talking about climate, it, it's really like there's one or two things that, that really pop up, like sea level is big, you know, you know, there we go. New York City is going to be under underwater, bad times you know, fish in the city hall kind of thing. But the reality is that, and this is what Probable Futures is trying to capture, is that it's a lot of different indicators. A lot of different things are going to be happening and happening at once. So there are maps right now of heat and the number of hot days compared to the number of hot days in the past. And this is how you understand this stuff. It's in the context of what is likely to happen versus what typically happened in the past. And that's a, a simplification, but also relatively accurate. Like how much hotter will it be uh, how much more or less rain, how much, uh, how much more or less drought. And uh, unfortunately for a lot of this stuff, the answer is, is more. Uh, there's going to be a lot more intense and difficult weather going forward. Help me just a little bit as a user and as you know, the, the person who's trying to create a mental model of this. Let's say I go to Probable Futures now That's and great. I look at the maps and I see that <laughs> it is going to be hot uh, it's going to be above 90 degrees, 30 days, 40 days a year, whereas it used to only be that hot like five days a year. And that's at a two degree global warming scenario. It's going to be, you know, possibly in the next couple of decades, I can really look at that. And I think about my house, I'm like, well, I'll turn the AC on or something. You know, like, when I get that piece of information that it's going to be hot more in the relatively near future, what do you want me to do with it next? One thing here that I hear probable futures saying a lot is to imagine, to, to kind of take a step back and think, okay, well, what are all the things that I depend on that are related to that? So what do I eat that requires being grown in certain temperatures? Um, what do I, are, are there people who work outside who can't work outside in, in certain temperatures that are going to be above certain thresholds? And so this is where I think the, the framing of probable futures as being this take a step back and use that framing that you've internalized to apply to your particular domain can be so effective because anyone, 
no one's going to be able to walk up to someone and say, you are a specific XYZ professional, therefore you need to do this. But we all have our own expertise. And so we can all imagine that with certain changes coming, certain things are, are going to need to be different. So I think I think of imagining there um, when I hear that question. And one thing for me personally, I like reading novels that are related to future um, climate changes because they help me imagine. One thing that I would add to that is making connections. So we live in this really hyper-globalized world at this point. And I think the pandemic has given us a little bit of a more uh, of a better imagination for how much we've optimized that globalized these globalized systems and how when you know one link in the system goes down things can really fall apart you know one ship gets stuck in the Suez Canal like literally one ship and you know life changes in different ways for people mapping back these connections and not and so you know i've talked a lot here about looking at things through the lens of your own community but that doesn't only mean in your region so think about the things that matter to your community and then start making the connections back to all the other things that influence uh your ability to have those things or to do those things i, I mean I, I think this is a good closing point. When you watch the news and see world events that are happening 10,000 miles away, I mean, the, the prior pandemics, which weren't really pandemics, they were like outbreaks, like MERS and SARS. And I'm probably saying this, this stuff wrong, but it, it felt like it would, it would just never, you know, you immediately think about yourself, your family, your house, your, your block, your community, and then you get on with it. And I, and I think everyone does that calculation. Um, when, when, Probable Futures started to show us the early maps, I would immediately, my eye would go to where I was on the map, right? Because, uh, and, and that's not selfish. I think that's very natural. I, I don't think you can have these conversations until you let people process that. I think that's right. I think that's right. You need to, you need to, where's my house? Where's my family? Where am I from? Yes. Where are the things that I love? And, yep. that, and then they can think about how that connects to the rest of the world. That's right. That's right. And that is a process. Um, uh, people see a lot of struggle and a lot of difficulty in a sc- on a screen, on their phones. That's how they see it. And that's the extent of it. And I think this is at another scale. I mean, you know what else, Richard? I mean, it's we don't just live in this like globalized economy where everything is is optimized. And that didn't just like that's not this arbitrary thing outside yeah. of our work. Like our work and the things that we do are actually in that context, right? Like we have processes at work for yeah. good ship dates. We try to get things as tight as possible. Postlight is run as a very tight shop. And we're very aware of where our employees are in the world and how they are doing. Right. But we don't think about right. where our employee, our competitors' employees live or Correct. how vulnerable they are, right? Like, or, or I don't worry about what Microsoft's up to on a day-to-day basis. That's big. They'll take care of themselves, right? So I think like, we live in that optimized world and we participate in it and that that getting out of that context is hard because it's it's really against everything we all do every day it's a normal coping mechanism because our brains it's hard for us to actually process all the struggles around the world that could potentially affect us eventually in a domino effect right that's just too much, right? We, we can worry about the weekend, we can worry about our jobs, and, and that's kind of where yep. it stops. So it is at a new scale, at an unprecedented scale. So last question, Peter, Allison, where do we find that $275 Whoa. trillion? Dollars? 
I heard Postlight's doing pretty well. I feel like you can you can make a <laughs> contribution. Hello at postlight.com. Thank you. We're a great and growing firm. Uh, give us a little time and we'll be able to give make the uh, global climate change movement $275 trillion. But uh, maybe not. Maybe. Okay. that It might take a little too long. Any any other ideas? Peter, go ahead. Say it. Say we have to tax everybody. I think the alternative is, is we lose we lose so much. So it's like, what, what can we do to, to keep what we have? Um, and that's why probable futures talk so much about it. A risk mindset. It's not that we have this, this bill we have to pay. I mean, we do, but um, it's really like, how can we keep the things that we have and we love in this world, um, the seasons that we love, the food that we love, the art and civilization that we love. So yeah, I, I think it's, it's really, what can we do to keep those? He puts you in your place, Paul. And it was really it's good. Not about actually. money. Well, no, I mean, this is like when, there you go. when you buy a house and you're like, is this house worth that money? And the and the realtor goes, well, you know, it really is a personal decision, isn't it? And you have to, you know, it's about houses yeah. where family is. And so that's true, but for the whole earth. So, yeah. so, and of course it's, it's. And, know. and the bill is in that, uh, you know, analogy, it's like, the the house is going to be much more expensive expensive if you wait longer. So Peter's exactly right. I mean, it's a big bill, but compared to what? Well, it's either a gut reno or it burns down. So it's I guess we got to do the gut reno. We designed this process. We wanted the thought this thought process to be three things: useful, intuitive, and personal. So useful, meaning that people could actually use it to inform their own real world decisions. Intuitive in that you don't have to be a climate scientist to really understand it, that it's geared towards the average citizen like you and me. And personal in that it wouldn't strike this typical, you know, science dispassionate tone um, that, you know, we would acknowledge our humanity as authors of the site and your humanity as users of the site and acknowledge the difficulty of of seeing these probable futures up close. So the process that you describe is actually the process that leads to really deeply thinking about this and, and changing the way that you think about climate change. So, All right. So next step for everybody, probablefutures.org. Trust me, it's very, very good. Uh, and you want to you want to go there and start to orient your thinking around this big change that is absolutely coming. But in the in the meantime, you might have to build some digital products, including some that are climate sensitive. Rich, if I wanted to get in touch with someone, where would I send an email? Hello at postlight.com. Uh, it feels a little distasteful to shill our services, but people know who we are. Allison, put Peter, thank you so much for for doing this. Um, good conversation. Big big hairy problem. We'll get it. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. And thank you for your great work on Probable Futures. I don't think it's distasteful at all because we are going to need lots and lots of good tools uh, to get through this. Boy, are we. 